0: Slate Spoiler Specials are brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler.
1: Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Muppets Most Wanted, the new sequel, part two of the new rebooted franchise of The Muppets. And joining me to talk about it is our resident Muppet expert, as I think of you, John (laughs) Swansberg. Definitely resident Muppet enthusiast, anyway.
0: I'm definitely an enthusiast. I, I don't know if I know enough to be considered an expert, but for these purposes, I'm happy to play that role.
1: And you are also Slate's editorial director. Correct. And also, you've got, some, you've got some recent Muppet background because you just reviewed a big biography, the big new biography of Jim Henson, right, yeah, for the I New did. York Times. That so was
0: really fun, and it was an excuse to go back and rewatch like probably way more Muppet uh, movies and television shows than was strictly necessary for the purposes of writing that 800-word review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that
1: is a great excuse. So yes, you're steeped in anything. Muppet lore right um, now. I am, yes.
0: I've watched Labyrinth recently which probably most people can't say. Most people of my age probably can't say that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> most people who can say that are actually working on a felt puppet right now. They have one on their hand. <laughs> exactly. Um, so so Muppets Most Wanted, you liked this better than I did. We haven't really talked about it yet. We saw it together but didn't meet up after the screening. Right. Um, so as you know from my review now, I was sadly not a fan. I really wanted to like this. I mean, I brought so much goodwill in because I just love the Muppets, really liked the last movie. It was sort of a silly reboot, but it was such a sweet-spirited one that I sort of felt like they got the Muppets. Yeah. And I deeply feel that the muppets most wanted does not get the muppets and so i want to get at why you think it does or at least you're willing to accept its its flaws more
0: well it's interesting i mean i left the movie thinking oh that was that was fun it wasn't as good as the previous muppet movie to my mind but i i enjoyed it it felt a little like longer than it needed to be it sort of it felt particularly slack in the second half But I left, like, a pretty happy Muppet camper. And then I edited your review. And afterwards I was like, wow, Dana kind of convinced me that I didn't like it as much as I thought I did. I mean, I thought you made a lot of good points about... Uh, what it what it missed about the Muppets, but I don't know. I mean, part of it for me is I enjoy being in the Muppets uh, company. I feel like the people behind the Muppets reboot do, to some extent, get what is what is pleasant about uh, or and fun about the Muppets. I like that this was a caper. I feel like the a, a caper is a, is a great old Muppet form and it allows the it's a it's a fun setup uh, plot setup for for the kind of uh, at the Muppets excel at. I thought the music was good, although not as great as the previous one. And, and to me, the music problem was that there was no breakout song. There's no song I, I could imagine myself actually singing you know, outside the context of, of being in a, in a Muppet movie. Um,
1: yeah, we should know. say that the music is by Brett McKenzie, the Flight right. of the Concords guy who also did the music for the first movie. The team is almost identical to the team of the first movie, directed by James Bobin, co-written by the director and Nicholas Stoller, who co-wrote the first movie in this franchise reboot with Jason Siegel, and, and the music by Brett McKenzie. And so I feel like all those people who got it the first time are still there. I wouldn't even quite say that this movie... Sells out the Muppets, or makes them tawdry, or something like that. It's just, it just doesn't give us enough of what they want, what we want from them. I mean,
0: to me, I think part of it was that when I watched the twenty eleven movie, it had been so long since there'd been a major Muppet production that I think I was just really starved for for Muppets. Like, I think that the first movie benefited a lot from going in having not seen a Muppet movie for a really long time. Um, liking the Muppets to begin with, and then feeling like, oh wow, like I'm in the hands of people who really love this uh, form of storytelling and this, and this puppetry, and they've executed it well. And like this is gr- like this is great. It feels like going home again, and 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 uh, having an enjoyable experience. And now going back to see another iteration of that, a mere three years later, I feel like, you know, with a bar set relatively high, it was, you know, it was bound to be something of a disappointment. But here's
1: my question. If this had been that 2011 movie, would you have had that same feeling? Would the nostalgia alone and the love for the Muppets alone have been enough to elevate this movie?
0: That's a great question. I think probably not. And in part for, for, I think you made a really good point in your review uh, that crystallized something that I don't think I'd quite um, figured out on my own. But um, you know we haven't talked much about the plot. But the the plot of this film involves uh, there being a kind of evil Kermit twin named Constantine, who's a uh, a Russian <laughs> frog and who's also a criminal mastermind, like the number one thief in the world. And he's when we first meet him, he's in a Russian gulag, but he escapes and ultimately switches places with Kermit. And so a lot of this movie uh, is actually focused on this this new evil frog, Constantine. Not on good old Kermit, who I think we all love spending time with, um and I think that was a that was a big problem for this for this movie like there's just a lot of time spent with this new evil frog who's like kind of a one note joke, and Kermit's kind of off in this in the gulag doing his own thing, which is pleasant enough, but you don 't have that whole sort of like Gang getting back together, sort of vibe that that animated so many of the previous movies.
1: Right, I mean because because they strand Kermit, because the filmmakers choose to strand Kermit in this gulag. Which I will say, I like the scenes with Kermit in the gulag with Tina Fey as this guard, the Russian prison guard who's secretly in love with him. That stuff is funny.
0: You like that more than I did. I thought that stuff was okay, but it was just like it, it required a lot of Tina Fey and Kermit. Like that was like that was what they they had one like I thought they had one good scene in one good number but then when the movie would shift back there I was sort of like okay like more of this he's obviously gonna escape at some point he's, right. obviously, gonna, he's obviously gonna like train the you know uh, the other members human members of the gulag get to do some kind of funny song and dance number it all felt kind of like um Scripted ahead, and and I wasn't particularly excited to see how it would be executed. I just wanted Kermit to get back to the end. Right? Gang. No, no.
1: I, was, I mean to I say, it's 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 a static choice to strand him there at the gulag. Those yeah. scenes are good, but they're static, and and they don't bring us the thing that we want, which, as you say, is Kermit and the Muppets together doing their own caper, having their own adventure of some right. kind. Instead, it was almost it was just a strange story decision that at some point they just said, let's make. I don't know, three-quarters of the scene be about the relationship between Ricky Gervais, who is the right-hand man of the villain, right? He's the the Muppets' evil manager who's secretly in cahoots with Constantine, and this Russian frog who's pretending to be Kermit. I mean, neither of those are really Muppets. I mean, they're not the Muppets that we know and care about. Also, I mean, they're both villains who don't change at all. It's not like, you know, they're the Grinch or some sort of complex character who sort of either their heart grows at the end or, you know, you discover something about the root of their evil. No, they're just kind of flat bad guys who remain flat the entire time.
0: It's great. It's a great point. And we don't spend that much time with any of the other Muppets. All the other Muppets have relatively small screen time. It's like Scooter has a line here. Fozzie has a line there. You know, there's actually one of the characters, Muppet characters you spend the most time with is, what I would say, the worst Muppet. This guy, Walter, who was essentially created for the previous movie. Uh, and sort of made sense in the context of the previous movie. It was a kind of funny conceit. Like, oh, here's a here's a Muppet living in the human world needing to find the Muppets. Like, that worked. But, like, Walter's kind of like a toast little puppet. Like, no one cares about him, I think, outside of the context of that.
1: There's even a joke about that in the movie at one point, right? Oh, there's there? there's some sort of... A, among the Muppets, there's some sort of joke about... Some people think too much attention has been paid to Walter.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought that joke was about just, like, how those Muppets... Who, the, the, that's spoken by the one of the rats from Muppets Take Manhattan... I think it's Rizzo, the rat. And I thought that was just a joke about how he felt like he had been given short shrift, not necessarily because of Walter, but maybe the, maybe the subtext was that, that Rizzo was upset, particularly with Walter.
1: I think that that was one of the few callbacks to the previous movie. I mean, that, that story world that was established in the last movie with Jason Siegel and Amy Adams falling in love and, you know, Walter being their friend is completely gone. It might as well have never happened, right, right. when it comes to this movie. This is kind of a standalone caper, as you say. So, okay, okay so we've established that the villains are, are kind of dull. Um, what are some things that you liked about this movie, musically?
0: So musically as I said before I did I did like it. I felt like all I feel like Brett McKenzie is the perfect talent to pair with the Muppets. I think he gets what makes Muppet songs um fun. He has such he's such a genius for pastiche for creating different kinds of songs for different um occasions. My favorite song was a, was a kind of like a disco number that Constantine the Evil Frog sings when he's trying to woo Miss Piggy. Um, And it just sort of like it it has funny lyrics. It sort of takes on this kind of weird 70s disco vibe, but it it does it in a really like authentic sounding way. But again, I think the previous movie had Are You uh, Am I a Man or a Muppet, which was an Oscar nominated song that I felt like that was a song you heard in the movie. You're like, that's actually going to be something people talk about outside of the context of this movie or at least it's going to it's going to break out of the the movie everything here felt sort of like it was a musical dramatization of some plot point in the movie and i didn't while i was like happy to tap my toe to it i wasn't like oh this is going to be a great song that people talk about
1: and the whole movie i think had that feeling that it was functional it had a certain kind of functionality it doesn't there didn't seem like there were many moments of spontaneity or excess or just something that was thrown in because it was so crazy and fun that they couldn't resist it
0: right right and i think another issue i mean you asked me about what i liked about it and i keep coming up with things that i didn't like about it um but another thing that bothered you and and did bother me a bit is that um there's a tremendous parade of cameos in the movie and i think historically um cameos have been a really fun part of the the whole muppets endeavor like you know seeing who would be the star of the Muppet show in a given week during the television show's run was really fun. You know, it could be anyone from Johnny Cash to Candace Bergen to uh, the cast of Star Wars, and and seeing how different humans interacted with the puppets was always part of the pleasure. But here, and I'm basically stealing your idea, uh, but, like, here the, the humans were sort of like, oh, it was more like, look who we got to do a scene with the Muppets. They flash on the screen, and it's almost like a game of, like, can you can you spot the cameo? They're there for a second, then they're gone. And and a lot of them didn't even really interact with the puppets. It's like, oh, there's Lady Gaga. Oh, and then she's there she's then she's gone. Like, oh there's you know, there's Usher. That Usher was actually kind of a funny joke because Usher Shows up playing an usher at a wedding, but but that was like a but that's like the nature of it. It's like a one note joke, right? It's right? Like usher doesn't really have any chance to interact with the puppets, and that's a lot of where the magic happens, I think, in the Muppets as the interplay.
1: Right. I mean, both in Sesame Street and in the Muppet Show, it was sort of all about a human standing next to a Muppet and them having some sort of interaction. Obviously, the last movie as well, since it was about Walter right. learning to become a Muppet rather than a, a human, it was also about that discord between the flesh and blood figure and the the felt and cloth figure. Right. But if you don't play on that, then what is is the point That was especially true of the Celine Dion cameo, where she shows up with Miss Piggy to sing this kind of power ballad about lost love when Miss Piggy is pining away for who she thinks is Kermit, but is, of course, actually Constantine. Right. Um, but Celine Dion not only didn't interact with Miss Piggy, she just didn't seem to be in the same space as her. You just had the feeling that Celine Dion was in front of a green screen in Vegas after her show, quickly taping this this portion of a song for the Muppets. It didn't give a feeling that she was doing anything other than lending her brand name to the show. Yeah, I agree. So let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. The Spoiler Special is delighted to be sponsored by Audible.com, the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio entertainment on the web. They have more than 100,000 audiobooks, which you can play on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on now, and they have a special offer for spoiler listeners. You can get a 30-day free trial and one free book by signing up here, audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. So you can choose your free book there, and they have tons of choices, as I say. But we like to recommend something that's related in some way to the topic of our podcast, and it so happens that we have an excellent, excellent Audible plug this week. John, do you want to take it away?
0: Sure. Well, the, uh, the book that I reviewed um, about Jim Henson is available on Audible. It's by Brian J. Jones, uh, and it's a truly... Uh, engrossing biography. Um, Jim Henson was just an, such a remarkable talent. I think anyone who's a fan of The Muppets or Sesame Street sort of knows that. But I, I, I for one, did not appreciate the degree to which uh, Henson was a true genius and, and, a, and a pioneer uh, and also a very savvy business mind as well, um, which is something I certainly didn't understand before reading this book. And so if, you, if you're if you even a casual Muppet fan, I think it's a, it's a really fun read and it's an inspiring one. I mean, just Henson's one of those talents who you learn about and it, it just makes Makes you, uh, It just makes you ha- sort of feel in awe of, of his abilities and, and the energy and joy that he brought to his work. It makes you it makes you really inspired.
1: Yeah, I really wanted to read that when I read your review of it. And, uh, yeah, every time I see The Muppets, it makes me miss him. I feel like, you know, of course, it's, it's hard not to be nostalgic and think if he were still around, you know, right. what what would The Muppet franchise be like and what, what would not be allowed to happen? Sure. So to find Brian J. Jones' wonderful biography of Jim Henson and 100,000 other books, you can go again to audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. The spoiler special thanks Audible for their support. All right, John, back to Muppets Most Wanted. Your job here was supposed to be to defend this movie, but you seem to be getting swayed over to the dark side of of believing that it's a a betrayal of the Muppets. You've ruined
0: this movie for me, Dana. Um, I know you're so persuasive. uh, But no, I I did really enjoy it, um, and I'm not doing a very good job of of explaining why. I mean, one thing that's tricky is that there are a lot of, as is the case with lots of Muppet things, there's a lot of great gags, like sort of individual moments that made me laugh, particularly in the beginning of the movie. I felt like there was a good uh, pace of just jokes that were... Classic kind of Muppet jokes, or just just really well executed. And one that that really stuck in my mind, uh, and I don't know if it'll sound funny when described, but it's really great when you see the movie. Is that they have this this opening number. It's very meta. The, the movie begins the moment that the previous movie has ended, and they start they, they break into this big musical number about how they want to do a sequel right away. And so they're they're singing about doing a sequel, and they're tossing out as part of the song various ideas for what the new movie could be. Uh, and you kind of you see little visions of different pitches made by different muppets and um one of them is the the screen flashes to black and white, and you see uh, you know the figure of death holding his scythe, sitting next to a chessboard, and across from him is the Swedish Chef, and it's obviously the idea is that um, it you would be a Muppet version of the Seventh Seal. Uh, which I agree, me, that was a great. Just like you know, you did not see that coming at all. Obviously, making the Swedish Chef being the one who's <laughs> in that shot is just I've, I've always thought the Swedish Chef is the funniest Muppet, but uh, that was like truly uh, like a like a laugh out loud moment for me. Did not see it coming, and a great just like you know classic Muppet nod to to other you know, to the history of art. Um, that said, like, that's obviously a very sophisticated joke. It's not one that, you know, if your daughter was was watching that movie, like, would she get, like, a Ingmar Bergman joke? <laughs> Probably not. Um, of course, the Muppets always are nodding to adult, the adult world and the children's world at the same time. Although, one thing that struck me about this movie was that a lot of the material here seemed to kind of peg more to adults than to uh, than to children. Um, and this is something that actually Neil Genslinger uh, mentioned in his New York Times review. Um, but like there's this whole subplot involving uh, a sort of like Inspector Clouseau type uh, in- investigator pl- played by Ty Burrell. He's an Interpol guy trying to find Constantine alongside Sam the Eagle. And uh, that like that whole plot is sort of predicated on a series of jokes about how lazy Europeans are and how long their lunch breaks are. And like, I don't know. I mean, do like little kids care about European, you know, fecklessness? Like, I, don't, I don't know. It doesn't – that seems like a weird thing to keep – to harp on for a, what's ostensibly still a, kid, a kid's – uh, franchise.
1: Yeah, I thought about my kid during this and whether she would like the movie. I think she would enjoy at some basic level that there were fun Muppets doing stuff and that there were <laughs> catchy songs, but I don't think she would follow or care about really any of the stories at all. I mean, the, the, the gulag stuff she would probably enjoy that because of the songs and dances again but you know all the kind of prison break jokes and all of those references would go completely over her head I don't think anyone in their right mind would enjoy the Ricky Gervais Constantine relationship I just really feel drags down the whole center of the movie and then there's this also very adult component to the Miss Piggy Kermit relationship in this movie which you know I guess if you were sort of a shipper for for (laughs) Piggy and Kermit it would be really exciting because you kind of delve into their domestic squabbles and her doubts and his doubts about marriage but it just doesn't seem to fit again with the Muppets universe at all.
0: Yeah, and as you pointed out in your in your review, I feel like the uh, Piggy uh, Kermit relationship has always been a great will they won't they, but you don't want it to ever go farther than that. And it's not like Ross and Rachel like all right, just get together already. You always want Kermit and Miss Piggy to be suspended in this in this uh, you know in this state of almost maybe getting together and, and Piggy really wanting it and Kermit not being sure. But there's actually a number, uh, a song and dance number towards the end of the movie where we see. A sort of a vision of a happily married Kermit and piggy that involves actually seeing their offspring that in this way that's like a, it makes you think much more in a much more detailed way than you ever wanted to about like how sex between a frog and a pig would work. <laughs> and B, it shows you a like this kind of weird offspring where it's like what's like a pink frog and a green pig. Lit. Yeah, they're like, like
1: mutant babies yeah, in a stroller.
0: Like, yeah, like, do you want to <laughs> explain that to your kids? Like, any more so than you want to explain what a gulag is? I don't know. I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm not a parent, but it seems like you'd walk out of that movie with a lot of difficult questions to answer.
1: You also see them old, which makes you wonder, why have none of the Muppets aged so far in the 30 years <laughs> they've existed?
0: It's true, although it was kind of fun seeing them old. Like, seeing just, like, they put little bags under Kermit's eye. You know, Kermit is such a simple puppet. I think that's one of the reasons he's so beloved. That's actually something that, that Brian J. Jones writes about in his Henson uh, book that I'd never quite considered, but I think is a really powerful point that Kermit is the simplest puppet, but it also made him the most expressive.
1: Right, he's like a green sock. Basically, he's basically like
0: a, a green piece of felt with a halved ping pong ball for eyes. And particularly when Henson would uh, would manipulate him, and Henson almost always did, you could he just with his hand he could make Kermit have so many different expressions, uh, much more so than Piggy. Like Piggy's like a giant structure her like head is like architectural you know she kind of does everything with uh, right so the hand
1: snout. is pretty far from the actual face right exactly. there's all this foam in between
0: right so Kermit is is I think one reason we love him so much is he's the most he's the most expressive uh of the puppets and so it was it was fun seeing just like they added some bags to his under his ping pong ball eyes <laughs> he just all of a sudden looked older it was kind of a nice bit of sort of uh, puppetry magic but I agree it's sort of disconcerting to think that Kermit isn't you know perpetually Thirty-five. I don't know, this Kermit. I don't know. <laughs> it's a good question, actually.
1: At whose brain was that supposed to be in? I, I can't remember now. Like, who was imagining the future happiness montage of Piggy and Kermit?
0: That's great. I mean, that's a great question. I, I guess Piggy. I don't know. I can't remember now. Doesn't doesn't speak well of the movie that we can't Yeah, the can song kind of that.
1: all blend together. But, but but at that point they do at least at the end occupy the same space. I mean but by the time Kermit meets up with the rest of the Muppets, I feel like the story has become so heist centric that it really isn't about them putting on a show. This is one more criticism and then we can we can wrap up and maybe you can say one last nice thing on behalf of the Muppet the Muppets Most Wanted. But is that there's not a real putting-on-a-show kind of element. Like, there's something a little bit depressing about how slipshod this vaudeville tour of Europe is that, that is going on in the background of this movie, right? Gervais right. orchestrates this this tour of all the great cities of Europe, but he's also paying off audiences to come and give a standing ovation. Right. right? I don't know. There's something about the the... the lack of stakes for that show that also seemed very un-Muppet-like.
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think it gets back to the the earlier criticism of separating uh, Kermit from the rest of the gang. I mean, so much of the previous Muppet plots have been about, you know, Kermit's ability to channel an actually good performance from this anarchic crew of crazies, you know, and that, that doesn't really quite happen here. As you say, like the show, there's a a little bit of a subplot about how about like, I guess we see what would happen without Kermit, right? Right. Without Kermit there to, to, you know, tell Gonzo that the running of the bulls on stage is not a good idea or that, you know, Piggy can't do an 18-minute montage, you know, song, that the show would stink. But we never actually get. They don't. There isn't a, th- a moment where we get this. Kermit comes back, and they put on an actually good show,
1: right? And even the bad show is happening in this sort of off space. Like you see a little bit of that running of the Bill, bulls number, but it's mainly an excuse for Salma Hayek to do this brief cameo. Right. You don't really see the results of, of the lack of Kermit. You only just sort of know things are falling apart because you hear Constantine saying, "I don't care about the show. Put on any show you want." And just something about that, like this Muppet saying, "Like I don't care about showmanship." I don't know. It just it just seemed like a, a very flat. Thing to keep on returning to
0: over and over again. That's fair. All
1: right, but you should say last one last thing in Muppets <laughs> Most Wanted defense. Tell uh, people why they should go see well, it. Well, I mean,
0: you know, I th- I do think that you've made some good points about the uh, some of the some of the I do think you've made some good points about the ways in which the um, creators of the of this movie have sort of uh, forgotten some of the some of the important elements of a great Muppet movie. That said, I do think that these the, these people do understand. What makes them up it 's great, and you you know this is an opportunity to spend two hours in the company of these characters. I would like to have spent more time with Kermit I would have liked them to do different things, but I feel like there are there are a series of funny jokes you know. Waldorf and Statler get off some good cracks about how awful the Muppets are. Oh,
1: oh, another good gag. I'm sorry just to jump in with one more, but the one that I was going to mention besides the Seven Seal gag is when they go to Germany and there's a sign <laughs> saying D-Muppets. Right. And then isn't it Statler and Waldorf who say, like, I see the reviews have come out early. <laughs> exactly. Die, Muppets.
0: Yeah, that was that was a great Waldorf and Statler moment. So, like, there are those little, you know, there are, you do get uh, some of those classic uh, Muppet moments that I think fans uh, will thrill to. There just aren't quite enough and they're not strung together as, as well as they have been in, in the past, but like not every not every Muppet movie from you know the Henson run was like a wire to wire success either. You know, no, so I watched some of them recently, and like the original Muppet movie was great, but you know the Great Muppet Caper is like it, you know it has some great moments and it has some not great moments. Yeah, um, I, and make, I, think I
1: make no argument for that. I mean, I guess what you're saying, which I can see, I can see some truth to, is a mediocre Muppet movie is better than no Muppet movie at all.
0: You said it better than I, but I did. But yeah, that's exactly.
1: And I'll certainly be lining up for the next one, no question. Yeah. All right. John, thank you so much for joining me for Muppets Most Wanted. It was my pleasure. Come back and spoil again soon. Will do. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing